The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. If you want to get the most of your dog in your training sessions, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. Yukonuba's new premium performance lineup is built with the nutrients dogs need to help unleash their maximum potential. That starts with providing energy that matches their efforts, supporting optimal nutrient delivery, and supporting post-exercise recovery. Check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup and find your dog's fuel at yukonubasportingdog.com. All right. And I also want to say thank you and give a special shout out to my newest sponsor, AYA Fine Guns. A fine shotgun is itself a work of art as individual as its owner. Why choose an AYA? Well, Every AYA gun is handmade uh, by our master gun makers with meticulous attention and precision. Each constituent part is carefully shaped and little by little, the parts come together until a perfect hole is created. Barrel, action, locks, trigger, stock, foreign. An AYA gun is a marvel of gun making engineering, a coming together of perfectly fitted and calibrated parts to ensure an unequaled experience with a reliability and longevity which defy the passing of time. Choose AYA today. All right, and then one of my last title sponsors, Trinity Kennels, Trinity Bretons. Um, guys, thank y'all for for those who put deposits down at Trinity Bretons. I've y'all have reached out to me and let me know how how convinced and, and confident y'all are in their breedings um, of Epignol Bretons. Um, at Trinity Bretons, they strive to raise, train, and produce and reproduce all that are excellent uh, representations of the breed, both in field and confirmation over the past 30 years. They've continued to study, learn, and implement all that they can do into their breeding program and philosophy, as well as their training program. Um, it culminated in being awarded the National Elevage winner in the 2020 CEBUS National Conclave and Field Trial in South Carolina. So check out Trinity Batons today, guys. Thank you so much. Okay, so I want to just open up, guys. Welcome into the new year. First and foremost, Happy New Year from the Gun Dog Notebook and, and, and Cheyenne Candles and Minority Outdoor Lines and all of the stuff that I'm involved in. But um, I want to open up with a tailgate talk with Josh Ryder of Trinity Bretons um, from just a recent outing we had to go work dogs um, at my favorite WMA um, and, and just get a chance to see moose run and things like that. So there's a lot of components to this podcast that are going to come up. Um, and I just want to let you guys know that that's where we're going to start with a good old tailgate talk with Josh Ryder. So, you know, let me know what y'all think. And, and you know, it's just some 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 good times that we've shared and some insights and things like that. So with that being said, guys, um, stay tuned 
for the first part of the podcast. All right, we're back here with another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Live. Now we're doing, we're here with Josh. And we, Josh, we just got done hunting yesterday. Now we're doing the tailgate talk on the tailgate, but not in the woods like we were trying to do yesterday. Okay, I think we got caught up with um, with running dogs and, and and trying to. There was a lot going on yesterday, so tell, let, let's talk about the experience of everything, um, and and your your commute from home to here and what you're trying to accomplish next week. Yeah, man, left Friday. Yeah, Friday morning at four thirty, mm-hmm. headed down to Delaware, trained dogs till two in the afternoon, packed up from there and headed down to. Douglasville. <laughs> Got 15 minutes of sleep between the exit and McDonald's for breakfast and then went and hunted all day. Dude, you've been awake. I think you've been awake a whole 48 hours. Yeah. Um, For the love of the dogs, man. For the love of the dogs. Well, we did a lot of that. So you brought Moose, you brought Bim. I'm sorry, you brought Moose, you brought Pete. I had Bim. Uh, we picked up Ann and Vegas and Ruger. So we had an entire string, if you want to say. And I think what I want to get into in this particular chat is just some of your observations. Honestly, as a as a Yankee man, <laughs> as a Yankee, what do you what do you think about the culture down here? It was wild, man, talking with you about the culture down here between plantation culture and the history of it and <laughs> the way it kind of seems like the 1920s still exists down here culturally in some ways. Yeah. It, it took me for a wild ride listening to it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's... It is a tough pill to swallow in a lot of areas. It's a tough pill to swallow. Um, and I, I don't want to jump right into that, but I do want to get into the cultural aspect of it real quick, but... One thing that I think we were talking about in the car is the fact that the way that we handle our dogs down here honestly seems very theatrical. Um, because in truth, you don't need flushing dogs <laughs> for, for wild birds. Um, the tradition of it is like, it's like we're rooted in that tradition in a lot of good ways, and a lot of those traditions are bad and pervasive, and they will not go away. <laughs> but... I think there's an. I think the reason that we don't, um, the reason that we can't get rid of. I think there's an allure to it. Like there's kind of like a, like a mystique about the Red Hills, you know, and the way that everything is constructed down here. Because I mean, we're sitting out in front of my house right now. This does not look like. It just looks like outside. Yeah, it does not look like the Piney Woods. Uh-uh. And. Mind you, we got pine trees right up there. You know what I'm saying? Just, but they're not the same. It's not the same vibe. Even getting Ann, she's a different kind of dog than Vegas is. Like her whole overall demeanor. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think there is something about the spirit of the Red Hills. Neil down there, I asked him one day, I said, man, what is it about down here? Um that makes this place so unique. Speaking of Thomasville and um, just South Georgia, you know, not even just Thomasville, but just the entire thing. And he said, man, I, he was like, I think 
the soil makes the dogs better. So what you mean? He says something in the red clay. There is like a a spiritual part of hunting down here to me. Um, I think a lot about. I wrote about this in, in a Minority Outdoor Alliance um, piece, but it's almost like being in those woods to me. Every and particularly when I'm by myself. I can I, I imagine whispers and stuff like that going through there, like how many Native Americans crossed over those paths, you know, going from the tra- from here to Trail of Tears to Oklahoma. You know, when it got booted out, where there were people living in those woods, you know, those trees, those pines are special because they know what happened here for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and those quail know the game. And I want to talk about that. I want to start about those quail. Have you have you dealt with birds like that before? Like, talk about the ones that you deal with in Iowa versus here. Yeah, the, the bob whites up by us in Iowa, man. They they cub you up and they hold tight. That's that's what makes them so much more fun than pheasant to hunt for us up in the in the Midwest. Because mm-hmm. your dog can get on them and they hold hold tight. And you get a nice flush and you get a covey of fifteen blowing up at one time, and it's it's beautiful to watch. Down here, they run around like pheasants do in the north. <laughs> We, it was a couple of things that happened. So we ran, and I, I, I want to use that to talk about how Moose worked to cover, Moose's condition right now, and how you are getting him back in the game, and how that affected you guys in, in, in your approach to hunting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Moose just coming off of having Nicardia and coming off of meds. He hasn't been conditioned in a month. Mm-hmm. He's he was on birds on Friday for the first time in four weeks, mm-hmm. and so he was he was out of shape for him. He was still able to hold his own. <laughs> he still went three hours and two and a half hours or whatever and hunted mm-hmm. in between 150 and 300. So he did he did a good job. It was it was I think the biggest thing was it was different for me. Yeah. Not ever being able to lay eyes on my dog at 150 to 300 <laughs> up in the prairies. You hit a rolling hill and you can see him cast across mm-hmm. the top of the next one and know where he's going. Mm-hmm. So that was something different for us, learning to work together without visual <laughs> contact. But yet, we still want a dog three, four, five, six hundred yards out. Yeah. I mean, the, the big guys, you know, do. Um, but I think that's a, a niche thing because a lot of the plantation guides down there, they actually like, for their plantation dogs, now the guide dogs, they like a 200-yard dog. So that's about as far as you're gonna be able to reasonably see, and most of the time, less than that, even off a horseback. But there's the all age influence down here, where they don't they they want a dog. They, what they call it? Um, uh, David Johnson. I was talking to him. He called it a country running dog. And they, you know, and a dog they want a dog that'll run as far as the country will let them run. So if it's in the piney woods, if, if 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 it allows for 300, they say go. Lots of six, they say go. In open fields and open prairies up, up north where you're at, thousand yards. And um, I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that we're conditioning dogs to be able to not only run off a horseback, but then walk. Now, what I saw out of Moose yesterday, we know Moose can hunt off a horseback. I'd say it took Moose about 15 minutes to figure out how to work that terrain. 
because for a minute he shot out and he kind of kept came back and looked at you for a second it was like what are we doing and then i think he he, he and vegas got paired up and i like the way they hunt together then they were in the same area for a minute and then they split off so what 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 do you think were some of the goods and the bads with what could Moose? What did Moose do really well for the very, very quick adjustment? What is he going to have to work on going forward? And how did you think he and Vegas worked together? You mean as, for Moose? You mean as far as in the Piney Woods or just mm-hmm. overall? In the Piney Woods. Yeah, I, I think the thing that he needs to work on is the same thing that is really what I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're used to is where he can check in from 200 yards out and see me. Mm-hmm. So down here he would he would get out to 200 yards and he wouldn't know where to check in with me because we could only see 30 yards and some mm-hmm. of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So for him to be able to kind of maneuver the terrain in such a way that he knows where to come check in with me, I think will be the thing for him. Crucial. Keeping I, a dog out in front is, you know, of the utmost importance to guys down here and guys up by us. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that when you don't know where, where the handler's at. Right. And that's something that a dog has to learn how to do. Honestly, it used to drive me up to water Vegas would check in like that. It was cool when he was a puppy, because nobody ever wants to lose a puppy. Right. But as he gets older, you kind of like, like, dude, just stay out there. But then I thought about it, and I broke it down. I was like, no, this dog is trying to make sure he's on track, because he never got behind. He, he seldom, so never. He seldom ever gets behind. And if, if he's behind with Vegas, he's trying to figure out where I am. And sometimes he'll 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 come back too far and look up and realize I'm about. 20 yards to the left, 20 yards to the right, and a little bit ahead. Then he just shoots back on forward. I don't think that's anything. I mean, I think you can mm, you can encourage a pattern and stuff like that, but I just think that's something you got to put them on, on the ground down here, and they got to figure that out. Um, that's why and you're a guide. Um, that's why planting birds is such a complex, like, it's 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 a, I think there's, a, there's an art to that. You know, um, it's funny when Sam came down, we were talking about cover, mm-hmm. and Sam got too. Um, Sam Baker, and I had him on a podcast before this one. But Sam talked about when he does have to put birds out for his guide clients, not wild birds for his for his guide clients. He puts them in a different kind of cover than I do, and it's interesting. I thought that some of the stuff that he was talking about putting it down, I personally, and it's just a preference. I thought birds would get tangled up because if the stem density down there at the bottom too thick, they can't run around. Quail like to run around in between that stuff down here. They will cover up and they will flush, and they're not going to do a whole. Two, they're not going to do so much running to where you might as well be hunting pheasant. But quail down here ain't stupid. If all they can do, and I feel like if all they can do is, is narrow their options down to ground dwelling predators, that's a win in their book. I think the hawks are the worst predators for them. You know, if you think about it, the way that quail even roost, they roost in that circle. Right. It's easier to deal with ground-dwelling predators than it is to see up top. So they don't fly. Um, so when you try to simulate that in cover, I put my birds out in thick but very but open at the top cover so they can flush. I've had a situation, I was guiding and sent Ruger in, and 
he almost ended up caught. He almost ended up catching a bird because the cover wouldn't allow the birds to like actually open their wings. Um, I'd actually had to pull him off and go in and kind of shuffle it a little bit, and they got out. But going back to Moose, I think that he caught he caught wind of that and started being a little more cautious. Um, Yeah, and it's the other part that's different along those lines is where we go, you know, up in up in the Midwest hunting prairies, blue stem stuff like that. We we work with the wind, so we pick a direction. Mm-hmm. We we go a direction. So for a dog to check in, they know that they need to stay in front that way. Mm-hmm. When they check in, they cut back to the middle of their cut. Right. Down here, we're winding, you know, burn paths and roads mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. We're never going in the directions. So for a dog to check in, it has to be a lot more regular. Right. Down here. Well, and that's why I sing a lot. You know what I'm saying? I will, and he just responds off of that, you know? And if, and, and if I see, and it, most of it is, is Garmin stuff. I want to challenge myself to actually run, run him on the bell down there. I think that'll be like a really hard challenge. Um, just once he gets out, that bell starts to get dimmer and dimmer. But I think it'll be a cool thing. Um, I would like to see Vegas and Moose hunt again together. Oh, it'll happen. No well, doubt. We have, you want to, do a little teaser, a little MOA teaser. Yeah. We are planning to set it up to where our biggest donors get a guided hunt with Moose and Vegas. That's the plan. Moose, Vegas, and Ruger. Um, not just down here, but also in Iowa. Um, and I think that whoever that donor may be, we're talking about $10,000 donors and up, um, for the scholarship that we have going to Trinity Kennels and uh, or Trinity Bretons and um, Minority Outdoor Alliance scholarship that we have, I think is going to be a really, really, really interesting transition. See, Vegas, I never hunted in Iowa before. And so the learning curve is not going to be for Moose, it's going to be for Vegas. Um, and I'd like to see him open up. You know, I, I would really, really, really like to see him open up. So, going forward, so let's go from Moose to Pete, his uncle, <laughs> which is is it, it, funny because they're two strikingly different dogs. So, talk about the way, compare Pete's, Pete's hunting to Moose's hunting. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we talked about it a lot with Ann, and maybe we'll talk about Ann in a little while, but personality of the dog and being able to read your dog. Yep. And Moose is a dog that you could almost train like a pointer mm-hmm. in many respects, which is why he'd go out to George Hickox and be successful out there. Mm-hmm. He, he's a much softer dog when it comes to handling correction and, and wanting to make sure that he's making you happy. Mm-hmm. So as a, even though he's his uncle, he's a three years younger than Moose. Right. And so Pete gets out there, and he's, you know, he, he hunts close because he wants to make sure that you're happy with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes him a little bit longer to get confident in new cover. Mm-hmm. So when we started, I, you know, I had to break into the, the thicker stuff so he'd go in there with me. And then after about 10 minutes, he started doing it on his own. Yep. You said he'd like pop in and pop out if he didn't do that? Yeah, he'd run the trail and he'd pop in 10 feet, pop back out if he didn't have catch any scent, and then run the trail another 100 yards and pop in 10 feet and pop out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool. Now, towards the end, now we ended up coming across like a feed patch kind of area. And I looked down, and it was a feather on the ground. It was a it was a fresh one, 
I mean, still fluffy white. You know, I was like, this this had. I mean, it was sitting very delicately on top of the the uh, that that burned area that we were at. So I was like, all right, they were here. Um, which is another thing that that I was talking about down here. When they burn that stuff, that stuff is is to restore quail habitat, you know, restorative um, processes and things like that. They like to hide out into that, you know, in all those burned areas, especially those logs, I found birds up under them things. And it's interesting the way that they do it, because you would think that they can't flush out of there. Oh, they get they get on gone. Um, but then when they get gone, they, they like disappear into the ether. They just there. Um, our birds down here, particularly at that WMA, um, they are grown, they're older. Even when I when we flushed the first covey out of it this season, they weren't no little birds. They were not young birds. Um, and I wish I had been able to get, get you on something in the air, like in the air, they look big. Um, but Lord, man, they force a dog's point and dude, it is the prettiest thing in the world when you see it. I mean, hey, jump out your skin. But Pete messed around and I think he ended up actually locking up for a minute. I mean, locked up confidently. Yeah, he locked up tight. Yeah. Um, I think that was productive, man. No, no bird came of it, but it was an indicator. It was right next to the truck. That's the thing. There was an indicator that I think those birds were dodging us, man. I think I you're right. 100% think they were dodging us. Um, so, in a situation like that, if you had to say, like, you got a, a dog that doesn't necessarily know the area, what was probably the one takeaway for somebody that wants to try something like that? Like, one takeaway for somebody completely new to the area. Find somebody who knows what they're doing, like Darrell. <laughs> Don't put too much sauce on it. <laughs> Find yourself a guy who knows the territory. But if, if you're by yourself, I would say just trust your dog and follow their nose. Yeah. I think for me, there's a steeper learning curve than for my dogs in that. I wanted to, you know, get on the horn and, and get them back into sight mm-hmm. a little more often than I probably needed to because I didn't know where we were going directionally mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I know their tendency to check in is at 150, 200 yards, not mm-hmm. 40, 50 feet. Right. Right. So, and 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 that's that's the difference now. So those were, so we had two dogs on the ground, moose and in in Vegas, and honestly, we hunted them probably the longest. I think that was just the smartest thing to do, um, considering the the time, the amount of time that we had, and uh, that. Now, I also, I think I was telling you last week, and I, I said on another podcast too. I was like, for real, nervous about Vegas's tail. And the time that he did lock up, that limber tail thing that he was doing, kind of a little wavered, I ain't see none of that. I think that the dog just needed rest. He's just tired as hell um, from me running him too much, man. So before you got here, I had had Vegas off the ground for a week, week and some change, probably almost two weeks. I really think that's, that is just good for their morale. Um, and it's something about muscle structure, man. Like they, they have to, I mean, just like anything, it has to restore itself. Um, so just being careful, man, particularly during the season, we want to run our dogs, run, 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 run. And, and down here to Georgia season is also very short. It is shorter than it was last year. Um, and particularly for that WMA, it ends in January. And 
that's pretty much the main one that I hunt. Uh, but it's it's about being smart and not making a mistake because you want you you you're too trigger happy. I think a lot of that stuff, with, particularly with the younger with the younger less experienced dogs that we had on the ground, we opted out of shooting a lot of the times. Um, cause dude, it just it's it's not productive. Like shooting and killing birds. Just not. That's half the reason why I don't come out there with like a game vest and all of that. So I have it in my on my truck, but you have to do what's right for them. And you said that a lot, actually. Um, so the theme of of I guess what we want to do, and Ashley really liked it in a post that I made on Instagram, was trusting the genetics. What's your what What is your thoughts on that? I think if, if you're getting a dog with good genetics because it's been proven not just once but for generations and you know you, you can find a dog that's not where it needs to be but most times that's a handler error not a dog error you mm -hmm. know the, the genetics pull through yep, yep. Um, I think another common uh, tagging off that I think what we what we like to do to correct a dog rather than let them develop and trust the genetics over time is and you hear it time and time again and it's just dead wrong in my opinion more birds more birds more birds mm -hmm. and i wonder if that's not part of what happened to vegas too is he just had a ton of birds in a short amount of time yep dogs lose intensity when they see too many birds yep so maybe two weeks off without birds actually just picked up his intensity too mm -hmm. but yeah those genetics man they they pull through yep and that that's a that's a hard pill to swallow a lot of the times but necessary all the all the all the more now we uh what do we have so we got we got vegas we got moose we got pete though and we ran pete with ruger um ruger was interesting he's four now um i switched his job he used to be at like a like a quartering you know retriever <sighs> he's fighting with himself because he knows he's supposed to stay at my heel now. But I think a lot of the time, he, you see he would shoot out 10 yards like he was about and be like, oh shoot, I gotta come back. Um, that goes back to necessity. Didn't necessarily need it there, but it's it's cool to see that pointer, you know, I mean that pointer flusher retriever combination. Um, but it's hard, man. I, I have a mental battle with like putting them out. And then shoot, man, we're standing outside, that's hot. <laughs> God, man, it, it whoops up on them, man. And, and all of our dogs were pooped by the end. So that's another thing, again, about the South. You just can't run them that long. And yet I'm out here trying to work him, work my dogs two and a half, three hours. Um, so going forward off of that, talk about, I actually want to hear your thoughts on them, the, the short hair that I brought out. Yeah. Going from pointers to gyps, huh? Right, pointers <laughs> to gyps, man. And, and and a lot of followers. As soon as I posted that photo, all of my buddies came. Oh, so you, I see you out there working the gyp, man, working the short hair. <laughs> oh Lord, don't get too excited. Um, but what'd you think about Bim? Yeah, I, th I thought she had a lot of promise for for a GSP. I thought, I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. Maybe a lot of GSPs are good dogs, but I think she just needs more time in the field. Mm -hmm. I think it took her a minute to get confident, and then once she did, she started breaking away really nice. Right. And when she, I think she had a point too, didn't she? When we heard she that, had, bird, yeah, we I think it was. Later. I think it was a mouse though. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah. but they carry similar scent. Um, but yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I thought she did a great job. I thought she worked the cover well. I thought she hunted hard. I thought she did her job. I thought she was working, you know, as well as she could have for her age and, and where she's at. And I thought she, with more time out there in the piney woods, she'll turn on, man. She'll turn on, turn on hard. All right, guys. Speaking of turning on, uh, turn on your uh, Onyx Hunt app if you have not already done it. Use my promo code GDN20 and get yourself 20% off another year subscription with um, Onyx. So, also, you can be sporting dog, guys. Feed your dogs well. Get right in 2021, guys. Thanks again. Here's the next part of the episode. Gundog Notebook Podcast, August. Welcome to 2021. You tell everybody, say, ma. Ma. No, you don't want to do it. All right, well, anyway, we have a special guest on this episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast, and, uh, That'd be my daughter, Miss August Ann, who is hanging out with me, and we're going to go over a few things that I think are, I don't know, you know, just give you a little bit more more into what my gun dog notebook looks like um, in, in kind of an end-of-the-year kind of fashion. Um, 2020 is over. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, it's January 1st, man. So, Happy New Year. So, anywho, um. You know, I, I, you know, there's the usual announcements of sponsors and things like that. But, you know, I kind of want to just, you know, I guess go over, not not do announcements, but kind of just give you some updates on some some things that I got, I've had going on in the last few weeks and last few months. Well, you know, of course, y'all know I've got Anne, um, my 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 female pointer, and and you know, I've been been fortunate enough to connect with Jan Shaw who uh, gave me an outline of her, her whole pedigree, her, her five-generation pedigree, and Jesus Christ, that dog is, is oops. Oops. You got to hold on to your cup, ma'am. So, anywho, that generation, that 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 uh, five-generation pedigree is smoking. But, you know, I've run her a couple of times. I've been able to, to, to get her out and guide with her. Um, and she was, I mean, just a phenomenal dog thus far. Um, she's really coming out, showing her colors and showing, you know, who she really is. And it's been it's been really fun to watch her come out and develop. Um, and the good thing is, I mean, she's for the most part already broke, um, you know, with no credit to me. But that dog is has really, really, really got a nice got some nice style in her point. Um, and. Yeah, I, I've been able to find a few new cubbies in 2020, man. Like I found one. It took me two trips. I did one with Josh Ryder um, where we went down there uh, on doggy. the matter. Of, yeah, doggy. Um, we went down with doggy. Josh Ryder and uh, and worked doggy. with Moose Your Vegas. Doggy. Yeah. Worked with Moose in Vegas and everybody. And, uh, we hunted this one spot and the dogs were getting birdie and we were never able to produce anything. But this go round. Yeah. 
this go round, um, we were able to get up uh, that covey that the dogs were obviously trying to get get a hold of on this recent trip uh, for the Onyx film that I'm working on with you know my title sponsor Onyx Hunt. So that's you know kind of the the first thing that I'm really really proud of as far as 2020 is being able to locate new coveys. What's up? You you getting restless? You getting restless? My daughter does not like sitting here and I'm on daddy duty. But, you know, that's kind of one of the the things, you know, Craig Banger and, and I have hunted an, a good amount of times together. And he's been, you know, really, really, really uh, crucial to <laughs> helping me locate new cubbies and things like that. And then the five guys crew, like I mean it, like we actually are a good set of friends. So I'm, I'm glad to see that come out of 2020. Um, so shout out to those guys. Um, I also want to do a little special thanks. I want to do a little special thanks real quick before I get into some more thoughts. Um, I want to do a special thanks to the good folks at Broad Street Media who came out and were uh, doing a photography for some upcoming uh, literary work that I have going on. And I also want to thank the folks at Land Limited who are doing the video work for the Onyx film that I have coming up, um, it, you know, in 2021, um, you know, and I can tell you guys more about that that day as well. Um, you know, and then I also want to thank Gundog Magazine, Callie Palmley for working with me um, and also Onyx, not my title sponsor, sponsor, of course. Um, and also just for the Onyx film, the folks that helped out, that was Neil Carter, uh, Terry James, Willie Sims, Joe Fryson, Fred Brady, um, and everybody else that were kind of there, if I didn't get your names, um, the staff at Kelly Pond Plantation, you know, and then the owners. I, I definitely want to thank them, Mr. The, the Watt family, and then Charlie Chapin, Mr. Charlie Chapin, uh, came out, to, uh, and he's the owner of uh, El Soma Plantation. So, you know, I say all that to say it really does take a village to get these kinds of things done. And at this point in my bird dog, I guess, career, if you want to call it like that, I'm just really excited um, to have these opportunities to tell these these stories. So just stay tuned in 2021. Um, we got some some good things coming, you know, from on my behalf from uh, in, in 2021. So check that out pretty, pretty soon. Um, so. Now that, you know, the first part of the episode is done, I want to kind of do, you know, from me to you, kind of like a, these are my notes. Oops. I want to, what's up, August? Hmm? You all right? All right. So I want to do kind of a, a year in review kind of deal for 2020, just to, you know, just let, just to let you kind of know where I'm at and, and hopefully maybe you guys, yeah. Um, hopefully you guys might feel the same or, or, or maybe interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get through these, these things, Miss Ann. Let's get through. Them. So just to kind of let you guys know where I'm at and how, how my season went and, you know, maybe it's interesting to use some of the thoughts that I've collected. And then afterwards, I'm going to do uh, 20 entries from my gun dog notebook from 2020, starting from beginning to however many the first 20 are that I thought were pretty interesting and uh, 
maybe kind of insightful or just informative. I hope they are. So, um, so a year in review, man. This is, I guess, the the next phase of the podcast. Oh, August, a year. In, you turned one this year. How old are you? <laughs> you don't want to tell me. Okay. Um, you don't want to tell me. All right, that's fine. So. 2020, honestly, this is the the year that I found the most new cubbies of wild quail here um, in Georgia on, you know, either WMAs that I've hunted before or or and new ones combined. Yep. And uh, I've done that with friends and, and we've all worked together collectively to, to get those 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 birds located and pinned down. Um, I still haven't shot anything. I'm still working on that with that 410. Um. Yeah, man, and I and I and I I was able to break that four ten in on a a wild bird flush, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, some of the things that I'm I got coming up, I might get a little more practice on some of these wild birds. So, uh, you know, we we gonna we gonna give it a try, give it a give it a home run hail mary shot. That's that's what I call them. Craig knows what I'm talking about. These hail mary shots. That's what it says, boom, boom. Say say something to the microphone, Augie. Okay. Right, is this the dogs? What's that? Dog. Yeah. What's this here? Oh. Dog. Yep. Oh, let's look at another picture real quick. What's that? <laughs> I'm gonna make sure you know about some dogs. All right. So, um, you know, I also want you guys to, before I move on, just to remember to check out some of my recent work um, in backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, the backcountry journal. Um, but overall, man, this has been a really, really, really big year for some of my and, and personal accomplishments for me. Um, I've had a lot of literary work published. So, you know, if you get a chance to, to, you know, read some of it, man, let me know what you think. And those of y'all that, those of y'all that have done that, you know, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. So can I, can I tell these folks about my, 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 my magazine stuff? You see it all the time and you better be a good writer too. August did her first drawing today, guys. So I'm going to get that framed as well. Um, but yeah, man, and check out my latest piece um, from Outdoor Life. Um, that piece, I was actually really, 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 ooh, that piece I was actually really um, excited about. You know, just because I, you know, when, when, when Alex hit me up and said, hey, I, I want to, I want your thoughts about, you know, what you might say to folks at the end of this year, you know, and your thoughts about 2020, I figured, and this is the title, but I figured it's just time to redefine what it means to do our part as hunters. You know, I wanted something pretty open-ended. So check that out on the Outdoor Life uh, website. Check that out on the Outdoor Life website. Huh? August, did you like my article? Did you read what I said? August can read a little bit, y'all. 
Yeah. Huh. Did you like it? Was it good or bad? Yeah. All right. I'll take that. So check that out, man. Go on the Outdoor Life website, um, outdoorlife.com. And, you know, let me know what you think about that work. So, all right. This is kind of where I really want to get into. Uh, All right, we're going to take a little break. Hang on. Okay. Next part of the podcast that I wanted to kind of get to um, was just my top 20 thoughts of 2020. Some of the themes um, that I, I've seen or I guess or, or, or have come up throughout my gun dog notebook. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and these were just kind of some things that you know, of course I write all the time and there were some things that I, I've just jotted down um, maybe throughout me reading a book or, you know, notes from the field or, or things that I think about when I'm working or training my dogs. Um, you know, some of the things from great authors, um, some field trial notes, it's just a whole gamut of, of things, you know, historical stuff. Um, but all kind of lumped under these 20, it's really the first tw- the the first twenty things that I think w- thought were significant in twenty twenty that I wrote down. So just you know, kind of follow along with me in this, man, and 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 see. Let me know what you think about this if you feel like reaching out to me. Um, and I do want to make sure, especially this year, this upcoming year, making sure my line is always open. And um, you know, you can always email me at the notebook at gmail dot com. Um, and let me know some of the things that you were thinking about. I'd even love to still include that um, listener feedback or, or listener thoughts on the, on the on the podcast and like video or voice note form. So, you know, you can record a voice note, send it to me. Let me know your thoughts and I can put it on here, um, you know, or emails. I can read them out as well. Um, so that'd be kind of cool if we can do that um, for 2021. But anyway. 2020, some of the things that I was thinking about um, just in chronological order, really, I circled a lot of them, but um, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of go over these themes in, in, in like a numeric order. And then I'm going to I think I'm going to go back over them at the end of it, just so you can kind of see where my point of reference is. And then I'm going to go through um, individual excerpts from my gun dog notebook. So one of the first things that I think about was that, and, and I, I'm just reading as I wrote it. Um, it seems like what I was most focused on in 2020 since around January 31st was bettering Vegas, um, on his bettering Vegas, horseback race. Um, my dogs, I say it all the time. My dogs must always, um, adapt or learn to adapt to whatever dog I have to horseback and walk hunting or foot hunting, Um, and Vegas was able to do that in a very limited number of opportunities, to be totally honest. Um, he was able to get his horseback shooting, uh, his horseback shooting dog race, um, better, much better since the first time he did it really, it was only three times. Um, the first time was that was, was literally put on the ground at the Rocky Creek field trial club, um, trial. And, uh, 
the next time was doing some workouts with my buddy Tom Hennis, um, and we did some horseback work there. And then the third one was on this Onyx film that I just got done uh, doing yesterday, uh, Saturday. The 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 I'm sorry, was that the thirtieth? It was January thirtieth, and uh, oh, I'm sorry, December thirtieth. Jesus Christ, it was December thirtieth um, that I did it. So that had been a Wednesday. Yeah, that was Wednesday. So. Anywho, it was three opportunities that Vegas was able to do that. And at the Onyx film, I mean, that dog pushed ahead and, and handled his business um, like I've been wanting him to do for so long. The next theme um, that I was kind of concerned or, 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 or consumed by was roading Vegas to encourage a forward race, which would directly affect and contribute to his horseback workout. Um and I was I, I specifically worked on getting Vegas to pull in a roading harness um, and singing to him to teach him handling. Um, and and that probably started around mid-February. Um, so I'm kind of seeing the progression of things by this point. Um, and then another theme or whatever that I started noticing was I did a lot of pedigree studies. I got really heavy into that this year um, or, or last year, really. Um, and I learned so much more to, to help me develop my own personal dogs and know, you know, who I wanted and what I wanted and, and how I wanted things to be or what I wanted out of them and how all of that stuff was done uh, in the past. You know, and, and something else that also kind of piqued my interest was the, these pointer and foxhound crosses. And I'm able to like, you know, something that I thought was pretty cool was was being able to have access to to English River like Steeple Bell sent me that you know reference and and you can trace back like hundreds of years worth of of, of bird dog history um so that's a big been a big thing that I was able to acquire um for my own research the next theme and I'm trying to just go through them so I can give you all the actual talk about the actual uh entries the next theme was just knowing you know when to hold them and when to fold them you know, when to take your hands off of a dog and call a spade. A spade is what I wrote down. Um, you know, and those things that were discussed were like ruining dogs with shot collars versus, you know, and doing that. People do that more often than putting physical pressure on a dog and, and just handling them, you know, with your hands. And that doesn't take a whole bunch of just heavy handedness so much as just finesse. Um, and then messing up a three legged dog by as much as I don't like a three-legged dog, I, I just really don't like them having that leg cocked up. I'm starting to teach myself just don't mess with them because w at least with Vegas, I saw it, it diminishes his intensity on, on, on the point. I just don't really want to sacrifice that. Um, and then giving a dog a break in the middle of the summer, I was able to do that in Vegas. Vegas's foundation, Ruger's foundation maintained, you know, and just – knowing to, to just let them chill for the summer. Um, and then knowing how much to rode a dog, you know, the more you rode them, the bigger they should want to run. And, and it puts more run in them, which is what I want to. I'm building my ATV now. And, and my buddy Joe Plody is sending me, um, you know, a roading rig, which I'm <clears throat> completely thrilled about. So, you know, and I want to publicly thank him for that. But once I do that, man, I'll be able to, to really – get you know my string um in the kind of shape that i want to and then you know 
another theme that I, I, I picked up on that I've seen throughout my gun dog notebook um, throughout the entire thing was the fact that Jack Harper in his book, um, bird dogs and field trials um, was incredibly monumental and influential to my work with, with my dogs that, you know, I, I, I didn't realize how much I wrote on Jack Harper's stuff. And there are some things that I'll, I'll outline in the entries. Um, and then the last theme was the, the, the idea that the Cheyenne kennels, like my now kennel, I, I've got the start of it. You know, my, my passion project, so to speak, um, was, it was officially written and conceived on September 26, 2020. You know, I was thinking about that then, and it, and it's just to me, it's just really cool that I'm able to bring that, you know, work on bringing that into fruition. You know, I've got Anne, who I'll end up breeding to Vegas, and 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 hopefully, if I can get in contact with, you know, Jamie Daniels or anybody, I'm 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 I would really like to breed her to Dominator's Rebel Air, um, and keep that Rebel blood in her, you know, pumping strong. So that's that's my fingers crossed wish. Uh, but I, I will breed her to Vegas and, and I'm actually really excited. I actually got two folks that want deposits on that dog, on that breeding. Um, so yes, I am taking names for it. Um, you know, just reach out to me if that's something you're interested in. I can show you the, the pedigrees and, you know, both dogs and, you know, I can put you on a list. So anywho, um, those themes were, you know, what it was that caught me. So I'm going to just go through my, uh, my gun dog notebook, man. And I, I, I circled them in green, so I should be able to flip through them pretty quick, but we just going to go, you know, we going to rock and roll just, you know, right here, just notebook right in front of me. So on, on January 12th of, of, of 2020, I, I, uh, I was reading the pointer and his predecessors, that book, which is a historical, like, Jim and something that I wrote down from that book was the point in a pointer should be refined and instinctual, not taught. As with the new forest pig on partridges. Huh? So basically what they're talking about was, was the fact that, you know, pointing in a dog is nothing that's taught. And, and I think just, as far as the vernacular, that's something that needs to be expressed and consistent across the community is, you know, you don't teach a dog to point. A dog knows to point. You're refining what it is that you're doing. You're refining what it is that he's doing. I mean, um, and some of the things that right below, I guess that I wrote down was, you know, what separates a point a range attitude on point, presentation of his nostrils to the wind or nostrils to the wind. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. I couldn't mess up my own handwriting presentation of his nostrils to the wind. And these qualities are impossible to teach. So that was something that I, I, I had on there that I thought was pretty cool, man. Um, and it's interesting. That was the, the actual first major entry that I had in there. The next thing that I had was, um, written did i i guess i backdated it or something hold on no this is, uh, not the 12 no i did not backdate it um it was on january 19th so a few days afterwards um and it was titled vegas on horseback 
And what I wrote was Vegas responded nicely to exposure um, and introduction of horseback stretching about 277 yards. He wasn't phased by the horse and worked birds well with other dogs. He backed most times and, and held his birds. So that had to have been the time. I may have been out of order, but that had to have been the time that I ran with Tom Hennis. Um, so I think I did that training with Tom Hennis before I ran in the trial, which was, which might have been all right. Um, I have to think about it chronologically. But anyway, I, I think I was just really excited, um, really excited that I was able to get Vegas introduced to horses. And like I said, that's that's my long term goal is being able to to hunt off horseback and doing doing it walking down here. Um, another thing that I I you know thought was pretty interesting was field trial innovation prompted by folks wanting to prove the prowess of their field trial dog or or the prowess of their dogs, not as meat hunting. So that was something that I also just really, really identify is, you know, when I'm out in the field, whether I'm hunting or whether I'm trialing or, or, or guiding or anything that I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to make sure that I can get the best display out of my dog possible. Um, the best display of his talent and skill possible. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen all the time. It, it, it really doesn't Vegas, ran really, really, really well um, on this Onyx, you know, hunt film. He ran, I mean, ran like a horseback dog and went, found a bird, pointed it. It was the sloppiest point ever. So I'm I'm actually, you know, <laughs> kind of nervous about that on film, but it was a very sloppy point. But he pointed nonetheless. Um, <clears throat> and to me, that's just something else I need to work on. I don't know why he was you know, as loose and, and, and the little bit of flagging and stuff like that, that he was doing on wild birds when he, when he really doesn't normally do it. But I think also that comes from knowing your dog, you know, it was a single bird and it was probably shuffling around on him. Um, and that's exactly what I said before the flush happened. Nevertheless, the owners of that plantation were able to, that was the only bird they were able to kill. Um, and it happened to be over my dog. So I take my wins, how I get them. Um, and that's actually, I'm going to foreshadow something, but that's actually something that I'm going to write about um, in Gundog Magazine is, is you know, nose versus tail, basically, you know, and, and historically what, where, where people's head was at and things like that. Um, so then what, else, all right, so let's see what else did we, did I have written down? Let's see what else. I'm just going through the pages. All right. So the next thing, let's see, I don't have any date. I don't know why I didn't write no dates on this. It had to have been sometime around February, at least in between January and February, probably. But this was more Jack Harper notes as I, as I wrote here. And something that I wrote was he fed Jack Harper. He fed his dog roll, uh, rolled oats in boiled water and cracklings for six weeks, and the dogs held up well. Um, and as far as, you know, what he was referring to was overheating in dogs and what he fed his dogs to prevent overheating. He said, and, and I also wrote, when a dog is overheated, 
tiny blood vessels in the nose burst in six months. In six months, polyps form and interfere with scent reaching uh, with scent reaching the scent buds and the dog's nose goes off unless it's at low pressure and preventing blood vessel damage. So apparently what he was talking about was feeding his dogs and trying to prevent um, a dog overheating. And that's something that I do really worry about down here in the South. Um, and it, and I guess he was just explaining the science behind, you know, why scent doesn't, you know, get why dogs are beginning to, to, to fade on the scenting part when they start overheating, um, which I thought was pretty interesting just to kind of know that there's a whole bunch of basically small explosions <laughs> going off in that, in, in that dog's nose, you know, preventing it. And, and that was something that I also might pair with the notion um, that chlorophyll messes with a dog's nose and scenting ability. So it's really hard for him to scent down here in, in Georgia um, because of that. And I had an old timer tell me that uh, a long time ago, and it made so much sense that, you know, basically that dog is, you know, clouded down there. It's a bunch of stuff coming in there. And then now you got these, you know, Jack Harper, to Jack Harper's point, you got these little small, you know, blood vessels that are going off in the nose as well. So, you know, it's just interesting. And I continued that, that thought. The next, you know, thing interesting that I kind of thought of or wrote down was, Jack Harper talking about uh, the steady to shot technique, how he used to get his dogs, uh, his bird dogs, his field trial dogs steady to shot. And he would get between the dog and the bird with the tennis racket in front of his nose. And when the dog lunges forward, he'd hit the racket with his nose. He just kind of bump it. And he would fire the gun without flushing the birds. And, he, and, and the dog would basically bump his nose if he did it again. So the dog was self-correcting and he was doing it with a tennis racket. So it was, again, non-force, not not too much force. And it gives the dog idea. I thought that was pretty innovative. Um, you know, just to see what these guys were doing back in the, the, the early 20th century. You know, that was, it's had a lot, a lot of effect on, on my persistence and, 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 developing ideology on how to work my dogs and, and keeping things very simple. What I also wrote um, as another just a little interesting piece of the gun dog notebook was um, I guess talking about Vegas at the Rocky Creek uh, field trial open derby. I said, we finished the Rocky Creek field trial or the Rocky Creek open derby with four fines, no backing opportunities and short on forward race. I need to get Vegas used to moving forward consistently. And again, that was something that I, I think was a consistent theme about 2020 was just staying forward. Now he does it really nicely and really well. I mean, that was something that we worked on a ton. Um, next thing I wrote down was uh, I said, W. Brailsford believed in simplicity and not complexity. The rules were concise. Interesting. 
I wrote. <laughs> I don't I don't think I even realized I wrote it afterwards, but I, I, I discussed that in the recent um, two issues of the most recent two issues of Backcountry Journal um, by Backcountry Hunters and Anglers was just keeping things simple with these dogs, man. Simplicity is key. Um, and simplifying the processes, simplifying the tools, simplifying the ways in which we handle um, and train our bird dogs. Um, it just doesn't take a lot. And that was something, again, that I wanted to make myself very keen and aware of and practice it was that minimalism in bird dogs. You know, not having to rely on the latest, greatest, this and that to be able to get a dog broke. But using the 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 mo- the, the least invasive sub- supplies and equipment instead of carrying a truck full of stuff that don't matter. So the next thing, you know, another one that I that I I had written down was I wanted to keep Vegas in front and moving with the song and whistle create good pull. And that was that was something that I was thinking about and and I had Vegas uh this year start pulling me. Matter of fact, I put a rodent harness on him. Some of y'all may have may remember or may have seen the live video that I did um where I had him actually pull me he was a, he's a puppy and I'm going to keep doing that with all of my puppies is having them pull and set rodent harness after a while just pull me up and down a field offer a little bit of resistance here but it also helped me teach him to respond to singing and respond to whistle commands and going forward so that was something that I thought was cool and, and at, at that point I don't have to do it anymore thank God but at that point I started having Vegas road at like bike George style I started having Vegas road um, on the bike and having him pull me on my bike and things like that. Um, it was fun. Am I looking forward to continue doing it? No, but it was fun and it worked. Um, I just, there was a couple of close calls that I just really don't want to stroke that fire, you know, stoke that fire. So anywho, it was good, it was fun, and I was able to to accomplish Vegas's forward race um, this year, which was spot on, I guess, or right on time for me. Let's see what else we got going on in this notebook. Okay, so another Jack Harper thing. Um, apparently, it was on page 198 of his book. But he talks about when you're working dogs, always work on double flushes. And I do very vividly remember doing that with Vegas is, you know, using a bird launcher the few times that I did and flushing that bird and then going up and having another bird in a tip up trap, you know, in the area kind of. And so it kept them staunch, you know, all the way through and kept them tight. You know, you want that style, but you want to make sure that he knows that, you know, there, there may be more in here instead of just barreling in after you get done, you know, working those, working those birds. And after you get done walking all the way up and everything worked out. So just work on double flushes in your training, not just single birds, work on triple flushes, you know, work on firing the gun multiple times. You know, that, that, that's something that I found really beneficial in, in getting Vegas 
uh, broke. And I, I'm actually going to start doing that with Ann. Um, actually, no, I'm not. I don't really need to work on Ann's bird work. Ann actually has really good bird work. I'm just working on connecting with her. So, anywho, um, the other thing that I found interesting, courtesy of Steeple Bell, my good friend, was the old English pointer pedigrees from EnglishRiver.com. Uh, let me see if that was the right website. Let me triple check. Triple check. English English River website.com. That's what it was. Um and it's it's just five hundred years of pointer history and trivia and other fun, interesting facts. Um, all dating from the fifteen hundreds, you know, forward in, in the format of paintings and pedigrees and you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, able to go go back to prices, bang and everything. Um, and that's been really tremendous for my, my research in history too. So I just want to thank steeple, you know, for making 2020 historically, um, a level up for me. Um, steeple bell really did a number and I'm also trying to have, um, a gentleman that he introduced me to and gave me, um, pedigrees for, for Vegas and, and was Jan Shaw. I'm trying to have him on pretty soon. He's got a pedigree system and some thoughts to, to entertain you pedigree hounds. So, you know, I think I got a few more um, things in, in the journal and we'll, we'll almost be done, man. It's interesting how these things line up. Um, you know, thinking about how I, I have, Anne at this point in time, um, this next entry, I was talking about the breakdown of the three bloodlines actually that I, that I have in my, uh, you know, in my kennel now, and that's L. Hugh Miller and Rebel, and and it's so funny how life works. I don't believe in coincidence. I had, you know, been talking about this earlier in 2020, and and I gave a breakdown of some of my thoughts on these lines based on um, talking to Steeple Bell. It looks like because it looks like my notes on the phone with him, um, and so. Talking about Elhu, um, the strength was that the mother-daughter lines held together and had several studs all over the place. The Miller line had males that held together really well. And um both were consistent, you know, both breeders were, and that'd be that'd be Robert Whaley and Farrell Miller. Um both breeders were consistently looking at new stud dogs all the time. Um, And then I wrote that rebel dogs were the children of muscle shoals, Jake, which goes back to Jake's river river uh, rigor, Jesus Christ, Jake's rigor rap, um, which then goes back to fast delivery and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, muscle shows Jake was the first pointer to win the free for all twice his offspring. Um, was was super lit and his he left progeny all over the u.s one of the first um to do that and then he was all he was he was related to lexington jake um that robert whaley was so fond of and that went down to some miller lines as well so i wrote those and i, I know that might sound kind of scattered but i'm i hope y'all could kind of interpret that um, cause these are just raw notes out of my, my, uh, notebook. And I thought it was kind of cool that I, I now have all three of those 
in my kennel. And I think it'll make some really, really nice dogs considering those traits. Um, another thing that I outlined was Bob Whaley, Mr. Robert Whaley. Um, some things that I wrote was that he gave away dogs that ran in the national. He gave those dogs away and, or, or because he didn't want a big running all age dog. He liked shooting dogs, which same here. That's actually one reason why I like that LU so much. Um, and Snakefoot was his final swan song of advertising because Robert Robert Whaley was a genius about advertising. And that's kind of how we know the name so much. You know, he pretty much branded the LU name. Um, and that's that's just conversation with Steeple, man. Um, what else do I have in here? Did I write anything else? Oh, John Philpot, I was able to get that photo. Um, some of y'all might have. That was something that was really interesting to me in 2020 was the photo of John Philpott. It was a gentleman that was a, a scout for. Um, I can't remember who he's a scout for. I have to look at the photo. Um, I may make the photo the cover of this podcast. Actually, I can't remember who he's a scout for, but it was an incredible photo of Mr. Philpott, a young African-American dog, uh, dog handler and scout. Um, standing on the back of a horse, you know, signaling point with his hat up. And I think that's the, I actually really like that as the image or symbol for 2020. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to make that the, uh, the cover of this podcast. Um, but yeah, man, historically, you know, as I write my book, I want to include that photo in the book because I just thought it was super monumental to, to be able to have. And thanks to steeple again for, you know, for that image, some more stuff that I wrote. God dang, man. I hope I ain't boring y'all. Um, I got, a, I, I wrote a ton. Um, I said, you never ruin a dog with physical training, but ruined, but a lot of people ruin dogs with the shock collar. And that was what we talked about on the episode that I did with Terry Chastain. Um, uh, my, my good buddy, was that people ruin more dogs with e-collars than they do with their hands. Keeping a hand on a dog, making them feel good, you know, it's it's really hard to to, to go south from there. Um, so just keep that in mind. And then what else did I write? And right next to it was very much April 28th of 2020 was um Neil Carter's thoughts on three-legged dogs. Not a, not dogs with only three legs, but dogs that do that you know, picking the front leg up and, you know, posing it uh, when they're on point. Um, and Neil said that he doesn't like a three-legged dog, but sometimes, or no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I said this based on those thoughts. I said, I don't like a three-legged dog, but sometimes it ain't worth messing with them on point. Let them pose if it's too hard to get to them and to get to them, to get to them, or let them pose if it's too hard to get to them and to put them on four legs. A three-legged dog might step, though, so just be mindful of it. And I, I think I learned that in a training day or a training session I, on my training trail where Vegas was kind of pointed on a ridge, like a, a you know, a little elevated piece, and a bird was nested in there, and he was really intense, rock hard, but, you know, pointing on three legs. And... It really bothered me, but it was too hard to get up to him. 
and not worth diminishing his intensity for pointing. And it does look pretty, although it's not a favorite of mine. So just keep that in mind, man. You know, is it worth it to get up there and 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 mess with him? Um, and then the other thing was that I wrote down, I guess just as a word of advice, is as the hunting season ends and we go into spring training, which will soon, very soon end, it never feels long enough, and then you go into the summer, was was giving both dogs, or, or for me, all my dogs, a break during the summer on birds and corrections, and you want to keep them hungry, you know, keep them wanting for more. Um, and that was that was something that I think I, I guess I felt the need to write down, you know, as I went into, you know, that that summer training season. All right. So I'm going to give you all a second and and I want to go over some some more things that I wrote down from this year with Jack Harper. But let me give you guys a second, man, because um, the sponsors that I had this year were just really, really, really good. Um, and that have been. Onyx Hunt and and Yukonuba Sporting Dog. And I just want to say a little bit of a piece of it, just a thank you to them um, for being there for me. AYA is a new sponsor um, that just hopped on board of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast, sent me a 410. Um, then I'm just third, really enjoy shooting it, and I'm hoping that I can kill a wild bird with it one of these days. Um, but with Onyx, man, you know, a huge thank you because I'm working on a film with them that I'm later going to talk a bit more about in depth as 2021, you know, starts to take its course. But I owe a huge debt of gratitude to them for even being so interested in the, in, in the challenge of making this film and us actually, you know, pulling the strings together to get it done. So Onyx, thank you you know, to, to Jason and Matt and man, just giving me the opportunity to get out and put my dogs on the ground and, and y'all just take an interest in what I do. So thank you Onyx for that. <laughs> I had to, I had to kind of say that. And then, um, and then you can do sporting dog, man. Like, They've been really cool. I really appreciate the Christmas card they sent me as well. I, I actually feel like a, you know, I support Yukonuba because it feels like a family, much like Project Upland feels like a family. And I know that they support me. They're, they're not just a company that sponsors the podcast because it's beneficial for them, but we actually have a, you know, connection and we speak and, and they, they, you know, care about my kids and, and things like that. So just as a company, man, thank you for, you know, to you can sporting dog for being so great, but also to putting weight back on Anne. and, and, you know, y'all know I'm fixing this little dog up and she's a sweetheart, you know, but I, I got to put some weight on her to be able to give her something in the tank to, to, to hold on to, you know, and you can do sporting dog has, has been wonderful about, um, you know, about doing that and, and, and making the process that much easier. Um, also, you can do a sporting dog. See, Anne had a lot of plaque, I guess, on her teeth. And because of the way that the dog food is shaped, 
it actually helps clean a lot of that off. And I have actually seen a noticeable difference in the cleanliness in my dog's mouth. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm really, really, really thankful for that. And I was able to, to see what Yukonuba was doing with their dog food. So thank you that, you know, what they were doing with their dog food that, that encourages them to eat it and it gives them choice and, and they like the way it tastes and it cleans their teeth. I don't like dogs with nasty teeth. I'm sorry. And I do what I got to do to make sure they're as clean as, as, as they can possibly be. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my thing with you can do, but I just want to thank them. And then AYA man, um, I will go ahead and say that there is a film with me and project upland coming up very soon as well. And AYA is one of the main sponsors for that film. And, and now the podcast, um, that gun is a freaking wand, man. I'm, I can't stop shooting. I feel good shooting it. Um, it's custom and it is a 410 and see for me having a 410 is more my speed because I'm honestly not hell bent on killing birds. I'm just really not. Um, so the more challenge that I can put on myself to actually hit, you know, to hit a bird, I feel like I just was more deserving of it. Um, with a 410 having, you know, as, as best a dog work as I can possibly get, just having the entire thing come together. Um, and that 410, I mean, that AYA, it's a, it's a number four 53. It's a, it is literally a work of art. Um, and it, it does help me identify personally with, you know, my Southern heritage and tradition. I mean, just the style of gun and things like that, like that's really something that I'm interested in is the conveyance of the tradition that I love so much in my own personal style and in my own dogs and, you know, in the way that I hunt and AYA is, has blessed me to be able to, to, to chase that, you know, tradition and, and chase what that means. Um, and it's a family piece. <laughs> I'm always going to shoot with that gun. It's so funny that I have it now. And I love it to death. Um, I don't even feel like I'm cheating on my Beretta. You know, and I, I love my Beretta, but that AYA there, it's just the move, man. It's, and it's, it's really, 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 you know, price wise, it's well within reach for someone that wants a premier quality gun. So check out AYA guys, give them a shout out, you know, get price inquiries and stuff like that for a new gun, a side by side. And I want to thank Charlie Jordan for, of course, continuing to be my 410 influencer. You know, Charlie Jordan of Missing Sucks. And, and I've had a few interviews with him as well. All right, guys. So those are the uh, the commercials, <laughs> the commercial announcements, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to go into some of the notes that I also kept in my gun dog notebook that Jack Harper was talking about. Um, and so these, I guess I had wrote them, written them. I wrote them. That's what it was. I wrote them um, on separate, separate tablet paper. And 
I guess taped them in here. <laughs> I didn't want to lose them. Um, when I saw what they were, I do remember taping them in there now. Um, when I saw what they were, I thought it was pretty good. So I didn't want to lose them. I taped them in. Um, but it says notes from Jack Harper on puppy selection. You know, it's about to be new puppy season. Some of y'all are, you know, this might be beneficial for you guys. Um, something for y'all to think about at least. Um, it's about to be new puppy season for me in in May. So let's, yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool to, to revisit this. But he says, study all pups um, at play. Check for early high carriage, and, and that means early high carriage in the tail and in the head. Um, mental makeup determines on whether there'll be a wide casting field trial dog or a close ranging gun dog. Uh, he also says females often outperform males in major endurance stakes. Typically, better. Uh, typically, they're better field trial performers, and females make winners. Which, okay, interesting. Jack Harper then continues to go and say that a pup should have conduct, uh, or I'm sorry, a pup should have contact with a callback uh, in bucket birds after a month of walking around with them. So taking them on puppy walks. Um, he says pups should have lots of wild bird exposure and few birds shot over them. Hugely uh you know, impactful and, and it's definitely something that we need to think about as training puppies. Like you got to be a dog trainer, not a shooter. Um, he continues to go on and, and say, develop opinions about a dog around a year old. Um, never take two pups out at us at a time, take one or three. And what that mean, you know, what you're trying to prevent is a dog, trailing you know trailing itself or trailing each other um you know work pups with other dogs that aren't gun shy and delay the shot so when you're teaching an, you know a dog you know intro to gunfire and things delaying that shot to, to just keep them on their toes um and working dogs with other dogs that aren't gun shy Definitely helps as far as building their confidence and ensuring that ain't nothing wrong going on. Okay, Mr. Harper, I see you. I see you. So he also says, this is the last piece of it. He says, uh, work from horseback, work dogs from horseback at four months old, work forward race first instead of game birds in the field for the first workouts. Don't start breaking and staunching until at least a year old. Um, I put in quotes, trainers would use the all the always plentiful supply of small black boys to help to help them. That's page 161 of that book. So, you know, where that comes from is way back in the day, there was always, you know, young African-American kids that were available to help them, you know, train and, and scout dogs. Um also said walk a young pup with you to number one observe other dogs working uh number two to get human contact don't be pressured to have a broke derby if it ain't ready um focus on woe here and heal occasionally uh hold on 
what will intimidate occasionally I cannot I don't know what that word is but anyway so it was something that I wrote but whatever I'll skip over it um have a dog heal the horses as a derby um have them come into the flush from the or come into the flush from the front so walk into a flood you know flushing birds from the front um and you can use the shush. some of y'all have heard that in my videos um you know shush or whoa those are interchangeable you have to teach the dog that they're interchangeable um and a judge necessarily won't mind shooing a dog in a field trial um so okay this this just got really interesting for me um and I think I'm nearing the end of these notes. Hang on. Let's see what we got. Okay. Almost almost to the end. I I I hope you you guys are enjoying this stuff, man. Um just things that really send light bulbs through my uh my brain i guess if that's what you want to call it since and makes my, my my gears go off all right Let's see how much more we got and then we should be good to go okay so the next thing that i wrote down was as a bird dog historian steeple bell says write what you're interested in and that has always been my goal is to write what I'm interested in um, and talk about what I'm interested in on a podcast. But writing about that kind of stuff keeps you inspired, you know, for the good folks that have reached out to me that are, you know, motivated in, about writing and, and things like that. Um, trying to get into magazines. Um, write about what inspires you, man. You know, stay lifted and, and, and stay motivated. Don't write because you have to write because you want to. The next thing that I wrote down. OK, this was interesting. I wrote Southern Doctor Dogs, which will play into some of my research um, on stuff coming forward. So I've always I've been trying to decode why the South was so monumental and pivotal and critical to the bird dog community and the bird dog you know, world or, or bird dog America, really. Um, de, you know, I've been really trying to define that specifically. And what I did, I, I looked back through this notebook and I had already defined it. Um, and what it was, the South, man, we had those, what, what steeple called the Southern doctors dogs and those, and, and these are my notes right out. I said, Southern doctor dogs all just breeding within their own little circle. So it was a circle of doctors that were breeding within their little, very, very, very tight knit community. And that was Dr. Milligan, who had Milligan's Dan and McPherson's Choice. Um, Dr. James, who had Ben-Hur and Lee's Grace. Uh, Dr. Norman and Dr. Blue, who, you know, is, you know, Blue Willie. Um, and I wrote all play, all of them played a major role in pointer history development in the South. Um, let's see, what else did I write about that? 
Okay. I think that's the main gist of it. But the Southern Doctor Dogs is a piece that I do. Um, you'll see pop up in some of the writing that I have coming up very soon. Just the influence of the South and, and how we got these dogs developed and things like that. So stay tuned for that, guys. Um, all right. Let's see what else we got. I'm kind of getting into later in the year. I'm in September now. Uh, ooh, Cheyenne Kennels. So this was was the first official post or writing or entry that I had mentioning anything about Cheyenne Kennels, like, you know, certifying it or stating the cause. But on September 26, 2020, um, I wrote Cheyenne Kennels, you know, along the lining of the, the the page, but I wrote, you know, Cheyenne Kennels to find and develop a good, I need to find and develop a good female to breed to Vegas. I did accomplish that. And that is, and, um, so I, I was able to get that going. It's interesting that I was thinking about that in September of last year, but then I need to develop, uh, wild bird dogs for guiding field trialing, walking and horseback, hunting. And so those are my main things as far as developing a dog that'll work for me and everything that I need to do. You know, I'm not trying to be a major big time breeder, but I am trying to make something that works for me and something that other folks might like, you know, say they want to get a pup from me every so often. Um, on September 29th, 2020, I, I wrote on breaking, breaking a dog. I said, let the dog tell you when it's ready to be broke. That's what Vegas did, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and y'all can't take that memory out of my head. That dog stood there. I was messing around with a pigeon. Eric, My buddy Eric Morris was doing some some filming for his show, Non-Typical Outdoorsman, and I was showing him how I, I, I work. My, my dog is doing some yard work. I flushed a pigeon, and I didn't think Vegas was broke at the time. And Vegas, that pigeon got up. I fired a blank pistol, and that, and, and that old dog sat there and just looked at me like, what next? So that was a very special moment for me. Um, another thing that I wrote was, I guess, from Robert Ecker, you know, a pro trainer up north, um, really, really good trainer. I think his Midnight Kennels is on is his YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken. But I wrote um, just on flushing birds or, or using pen raised birds. That's what it was. I said, when approaching to flush birds and raised during training, trialing, or guiding, move in slowly, even stop every so often because the birds will want to run if you're too fast. So that's something that I've noticed with guiding, man, is, is you know, giving solid points and, and, and not only planting birds in areas that'll get these folks shooting and make contacts, but also approaching birds to keep them as, you know, keep keep the, the, the chances of them flushing instead of running much higher, you know, which is a, a reason why we don't use flushing dogs up north. So anywho, you know, that's kind of where that came from. Um, let's see. Is that all? That can't be all. Really? All right, guys, I think that was I think that was 20 items and that almost took up my whole 
my whole gundog notebook well anyway guys i appreciate y'all support and i i thank you for another wonderful year um rocking and rolling with me and you know really just shoot man sharing my journey with wood bird dogs um i just dried a pen a pen out a really good one um thank you for sharing this journey with me we got another one coming up um please 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 um, i'm gonna say it here and and keep saying it um as far as minority outdoor alliance please go support go donate for 2021 we're trying to get these scholarships and, and new initiatives going on and, uh, and there'll be more on that coming up soon um i want to thank my title sponsors onyx hunt particularly for the film that we have coming up you can do the sporting dog a y a um firearms um dakota 283 lion country supply garmin fish and hunt um trinity bretons and and you know you know they're josh is my buddy that that's a huge thing huge you know thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast so anywho guys to all the listeners and everybody i want to make sure that you guys go into the next year this up this year now this is january 1st go in even stronger even better work better dogs you know and don't settle man do not settle for sub subpar uh performance in your dogs so with that being said guys thank y'all uh for rocking with me on the gun dog notebook podcast and 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 we will see y'all on the next episode all right